You are listening to Essence, a podcast about story, journey, and self. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 7 of Essence, a podcast about journey, story, and self. I am, of course, Ben Stimson of Paducah Wellness, and Essence is a podcast all about life journeys and lessons gained along the way. And on today's show, I am very, very honored to have sat down with somebody who has a very interesting life story indeed, and somebody who's uh, who's been part of my journey, although at a distance, for many years now, and that is Dave the Bard, or Dave Smith, as he's known in his muggle life. Dave is a musical artist. He is uh, the Pendragon of the Order of Bards, Ovates and Druids. And uh, Dave talks a little bit about what that means to him in the interview. Um, he is uh, the host of Druidcast, which is um, has been going on for 14 years now. It's a once-a-month Druid uh, podcast that is put out for the Order of Bards, Ovates and Druids. Um, and he is also a just a generally cool individual. Um, he's intersected with various people in my own personal life um, in various ways, and I was very honored to uh, actually be able to sit down and, and speak to him. Dave talks with me today not about what he does, but about how he got there. I was very, very curious after having heard him um, and his voice in Druid Caston and, and through the Order of Bards of Eights and Druids for years now. I was very curious to hear the behind-the-scenes story. I wanted to know from Dave how he got to where he is now, um, and specifically how his music has changed over these years, how his role in the uh, in the Druid Order has changed over these years, um, and also how his music has evolved um, to intersect with his spirituality. We talk about his storytelling, and particularly, we talk about a series of projects that he's put together over the past few years, um, which is an homage and his kind of version of the uh, Welsh national epics, basically, uh, the uh, Imabinogion, and um, kind of what that process has been like for him bridging together various parts of his personality and his life to birth these beautiful CDs, and we talk more about them in the, uh, in the interview. I had an amazing time sitting down with Dave. He is a very, very busy man, as you can imagine, and so I was, I was gleeful when he uh, accepted the invitation to come onto the podcast. And so many pieces of what he talked about I could deeply resonate with and saw in my own life. And so it was, uh, it was, it was really, really cool to be able to sit down with somebody who I've held in such esteem for so many years, um, and to 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 really recognize um, parts of my own life and my own story in the story of his life and uh, and what he was saying. Um, that was really cool. I hope that you enjoy the interview. As always, down below you can find out more information about our guest, and I highly recommend you looking up um, Dave's work uh, either through his website or on YouTube or, um, or buying the physical CD, which is well worth it. And without further ado, let's get into the interview. Oh. 
Hello, everybody. I am so stoked to have somebody I really look up to on the show today, um, the ever-wonderful Dave Smith. Um, Dave, welcome to the show. Hey, it's lovely to meet you. Yeah, it's welcome. lovely to meet Thanks you. Thanks for inviting too, me. All these years. Yeah. Um, yeah. Dave is um, a, a musical artist. Um, he is uh, an occult practitioner, a spiritual practitioner, connected with the Order of Bards of and Druids. He is a musician with multiple CDs and uh, multiple <laughs> albums out. Um, if you're in the pagan community, you probably know him from his gigs and uh, and uh, his uh, his uh, podcast, Druidcast. Um, and if you're outside of that, I hope that you will uh, start looking into his work and enjoy it as much as I do. So, Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. So, Dave, I uh, I, I guess the, the first question I should ask is, um, you're a musical artist. Tell us a little bit about how you started in that. Introduce us to your work through that. Uh, well, I said I can never tell you a short story. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, music was always my first love. I was a bit of a weird kid. I was a, I am an only child. Um, I, 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 I didn't seem to get the operating manual of how to be a, a boy, young boy at school, you know, and uh, I had no interest whatsoever in sport or football. So whereas all of my friends were swapping football cards and things like that and playing football, my love was music. I was listening to, um, you know, status quo, you know, I'll go take it back a few years now, but you know, my, my love was music and, um, and I loved the sweet and Slade and T-Rex and all those glam bands when I was a kid. Um, and I was hassling my mum and dad to buy me. Oh, I wanted to learn how to play the bass because I was also a huge fan of Elvis. And I loved that, ding, 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 you know, that kind of bass <laughs> yeah. line. And I just wanted to sit down for hours just going like that you know, on a bass guitar. And my dad said to me, and he, he didn't understand music. He do, he's not a musician, but he said, don't, don't, don't learn how to play the bass. He said, because for a bass, you need a band. You know, you, you can't just sit and play bass. He said, you know, learn how to play the six string guitar, something you can sing to. Mm. Um, and if you do that, you'll never be without friends and you'll never be without an income. And I was eight. I was eight at this time. Right. And and and, and I still remember that bit of, bit of fatherly advice. So I learned how to play the guitar. My guitar teacher was an Irishman called Tim O'Leary. He could not read music. I was his first guitar student at eight years old and he couldn't read music. So he taught me how to play by ear. He basically sat down in front of me. He said, right, this is a, you know, and he wrote every chord shape out by hand in my book. You know, David, have you got your book? Have you brought your book? You know, so, and, and, um, and he would teach me how to play. Yeah. So he'd play a G chord, for instance. He said, shut your eyes, play, listen. Now I play a D chord. Is that higher in pitch or lower than pitch? Mm. You know, and he would he tuned my ear, and I still can't read music to this day. But I I think that's why I can hear music and and, and in everything, you know, because of the way that Tim taught me. Yeah. Years later, he learned how to read music, and he became an, you know he taught in a different way. But I I think I was just I mean lucky to yes. be in the right place at the right time, be, being taught by an Irish multi instrumentalist. Yes. 
I remember when he 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 built his own Celtic harp and it had a dragon's carved dragon's head and he could play the fiddle, he could play anything, but he couldn't read music. And I thought that's that's amazing, you know. Well, and it's interesting. I and I want to make a point on that. Um, um he comes out my understanding is he comes out of the Irish folk tradition, yes. which is very much sitting in pubs, learning together. It, it isn't about reading from scripts, right? Exactly. It's about jamming. It's about jamming and being with your mates, drinking your Guinness and playing your music in the, in, in, in the, uh, you know, in the, in the pub in Dublin, you know, it's like, that's what it's all about. It's about that kind of thing. And it's about, you know, having a, ba- a mandolin next to you that anybody in the pub could come in, pick up the mandolin and just join in to the genre. And, um, you know, and it, what is interesting is because I, I, I started out with a love of rock and I got into heavy metal and I was a teenager, you know, and that kind of thing. But I was taught Irish folk mm. and my mum and my mum and dad, although they love the Stones, they also love Johnny Cash. They love wow. John, De- John Denver. John Denver. They like, you know, um, a- Emmylou Harris, you know, all those American folk singers as well. And I was weaned on that stuff. And what what happened was I I. I we taught how to play the guitar, but I couldn't play heavy. I couldn't play heavy rock for save my life. But I could drum. I, I had a natural rhythm. I, again, I didn't have any training, but I could play the drums. Mm. So throughout my teens and twenties, I was a drummer in a heavy rock, heavy metal band called Targa. If you mm. go on the internet, you might just about find some stuff from us. <laughs> um, and. Uh, and 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 that's where I was. I was a heavy metal drummer. And at the same time, I was into the occult. I mean, mm-hmm. what, most heavy metal people in some way are into magic, I think, as well. You know, there's that kind of, you know, Ozzy Osbourne taught me how to do magic. Do you know what I mean? Right, and right, and right, all those right. people, old Tipper Gore and all those people that said, you know, heavy metal will lead you to the occult. Well, it probably it will. Probably you know, it probably did. <laughs> yeah. it, it certainly did with me, you know, and Dungeons and Dragons and everything yeah. that goes with it, you know. Um and so I, I, I was, I, I played heavy metal drummers. I was a drummer in a heavy metal band, but at the same time, I was into the occult. And then finally, I kind of found my way into druidry. Mm. And I, I went to my first Obod camp in 1995 for, for the summer solstice. And I, so many things happened that week. I'm sure we're going to go back to that camp. But the moment that changed things for me as well was music, was. I, I'd learned about the Bardic tradition, but and I'd been getting the Obod Gwerst through, but I hadn't really been giving them my proper attention, you know. Yeah. And then and and then I came to this camp and I I saw a bard called Andy Letcher, who is the lead singer of a band called Telling the Bees. And he 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 played mandolin, he played bagpipes, he told stories. I thought, oh, I want to be like you. You know, he was my role model. And then I was like, I was sitting by a campfire on one of the nights and this f- figure came over with this holding this instrument she said would could i play my harp by your campfire and i just went, oh yeah she sat down she started playing the celtic harp by the campfire i had a campfire i had storytellers i had poets i was under a moon and starlit sky and a harper was playing by my campfire. I just thought, that's it, I'm done. You know, I, I am done here. This is just the absolute business. And she said, if, you know, if any of you want to learn how to play the harp, come and see me tomorrow. So I was there like at sunrise outside her tent. She unzipped her tent and there I was. 
and I, I just started to learn how to play the harp. Now on the guitar, the high notes are on the little hand, little fingers. On the harp, the high notes are on the thumb, and I didn't know if I could get my head around that. But I just picked up this instrument. I found I could get a tune out of it. And her name is Ziggy. And she just went, Dave, you've got to get a harp. So when I got back home, I left the band. I sold my drum kit. Wow. And I bought a Celtic harp, which is still sitting down <laughs> in, my bedroom, in my room right now. You know, so so it was. A, it's, and what happened was I came full circle. You know, I started with folk music. Right. And now I am earning my living through pagan folk music pagan folk. and so so that's why it was a long story that was yeah. the root of it. it was way back then with tim yes. um and and it started to really come to its fruition um you know in 1995 yes. when i yes. when i went to my at my first pagan camps that's and, uh, and met ziggy and uh yeah and that was that's how it came about really the music as you know it now that's mm -hmm. its root there's a, a real relationship in your life, too, because my understanding is you, uh, when you say you started out in the occult, it was ceremonial magic, wasn't it? Yes. Um, yes. And, uh, and, and during that time of, 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 of heavy metal and, and drumming, and then mellowing, and well, I wouldn't even say mellowing, that, that transition to going back to those folk roots and yeah. uh, more naturalistic. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, 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 uh, the ceremonial magic was wonderful because it was what I was looking for at the time yes. and it answered a call and it, it, it was, it was like me putting my toe in, but not getting fully committed, you know, it was like, um, but, but I, the, I, you know, I think everyone has to find their own path and my path was not Christianity. I, I wanted something that was far more earth-based yes. and actually ceremonial magic is quite airy. It's mm. quite up there in the clouds with the Kabbalah and, you know, all of this stuff. Um, and, and I found myself thinking, you know, that I need, I, I need to bring it down to earth. I need to get into the mud um, and, and the stories of the land that I'm, I'm walking on. And that's what uh, that's that's the point where I thought I need to start exploring Wicca, you know, witchcraft and, and Druidry and heathenism and that kind of thing and seeing which one of those kind of fit well with me. But uh, yeah, yeah. And of course, um, you know, the music of the bard can be anything, of course. But what I wanted was to have to write music that could be played around campfires. I wanted I, one of the things that, that, that was a driving force to me would be was be was to create to write songs that could be played around campfires with just one acoustic instrument you know and that's it so no amplification nothing like that just literally a mandolin guitar harp and a voice and that's and that to me is what the bard is in my heart yes, yes. you know yes it, it, it um I, I had a storyteller one of my mentors in storytelling come on a few a month or so ago and uh, and he was speaking much the same way um when you have all of the stuff when you have all of the amplifications and they, they do fit, right? Um, mm. it, it really affects the relationship between you and the group listening, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, they got there. There came a point in my musical career where, as I, where I, I, I had to go through amplifiers. You know, um, you know, there, there was. I, I, I resisted it for ages. I would play a marquee and play acoustically, and I'd come away, and my voice was absolutely oh. rotten because I've been <laughs> singing so loud all night. And in the end, I just thought, I, I need to now. I, I, I my audience is 
is big yes. and I need I now need it to go through an amplifier but it's still just me and a guitar and a voice and a stomp box I do like the old stomp box to get the old <laughs> rhythm going but um yeah yeah so I so 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 that is that is now part of my my musical career but uh, but the songs still work stripped down that's yes. the thing you know I think it, you know even though I'm multi-track the song has to be has to work with just one instrument and a voice yes. and if it doesn't work with one instrument and a voice then it needs to be honed a little longer you know a little bit longer really. yeah 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 <laughs> I, I and i almost um i i would assume that there's when it's stripped down when it's just you with the audience and, and and nothing else just you and your instrument and your voice it becomes very intimate it's a very intimate process right oh and spontaneous yes um you know i i, I was in bands and it's harder to be spontaneous when there's three hundred three other people who are affected by your spontaneity. <laughs> you know, um, whereas now, whereas when I perform now, it's like you know, if I want to stop in the middle of a song and just talk to an audience, I, I would I'll do that. I'll just kind of like absolutely go with the flow of the night, and um, you know, even down to the point of seeing maybe a, a young child dancing to my music and just saying, you know, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. You want to see something special? Get her on, get her on the stage. Go on, and 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 so she come and dance on the stage with me with people and stuff like that. That kind of interaction is what I love about you know being a, a totally solo musician. You know, you can do that kind of thing. Otherwise, the rest of the band will be going, "What's he doing now? Oh my god, <laughs> we've got time. We want to get to bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Party. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. I love what you said about flow there because that 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 word has really been a resonance for the past twenty five years of your life ever since you joined Obod. That flow of our when that flow of inspiration. Um, I want to ask you, so, so you joined in 1995, and then 15 years later, you became the Pendragon of mm. the community. Can you talk a little bit about what, first of all, what is the Pendragon for our audience who, who may not know? And what was it like for you to step into that place? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, again, I'll, tell, I'll give you a little bit of background first. The Oatbod was the Order of Bards, Ovates, and Druids was originally founded in the 60s by Ross Nichols Nguyen. And his pen dragon was Vera, Trapman, Vera Chapman, author, and she was the founder of the Tolkien Society. Yeah. So, so, so Nguyen's pen dragon was Vera Chapman. Philip refounded the order in 1988, and his pen dragon was uh, the artist. Will Worthington, who did the work artwork for the Druidcraft Tarot, Druid Animal Oracle, you know, fantastic artist. And he was the Pendragon for 19 years, which is a full metonic cycle. Um, but in the end, he 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 felt like he needed it was time to hand it over to somebody else. And and Philip asked me if I would take on that role. And at the time, I, I confess I, I found it as a huge compliment, you know, that, that because it is one of the three of the triad of the order. There's the chosen chief, the Pendragon and the scribe. And although there's no kind of bumps in the order, at the end of the day, someone has to make the decision, you know? And so, so because there's three, it can never be stalemate in decision-making. Something will always happen with three. Um, and, 
and me, Philip, and Steph became the pen drag, the, the triad for, for for many years. And um, but at the time, other than being part of that decision making triad, I didn't really know spiritually what it meant mm. um, because it appeared to mean different things to each pen dragon. Um, but what it did say is like you had a writer, you had an artist and now you've got a musician. Mm. So it does seem that the Pendragon role came from kind of like an artistic background. Um, so I, I was initiated as Pendragon in 2010. And I would say it took me a year to fully understand what that role was. And for me as Pendragon, and it seems like you have the scribe is the engine room. Steph, she basically ran the office. She made sure the, the worst got out on time. She was like the engine room. Then you have the chosen chief. Well, the buck stops here. He's like, you know, that that's it. You know, if you make a decision, it's a bad one. He gets it in the neck kind of thing, you know. Um, and the Pendragon became ambassador. I guess that's what you would call it. So I, I see myself very much as having one foot within the order and one for outside of it, like a bridging gap of information and, and, and a contact so that if people are interested in Druidry, a lot of the time when they email Obod, it will come to my email um, and I am the person who will tell them about it. Druidcast is another perfect example. I, I remember in tw 2007, I went to Philip, I said, Philip, we are great at looking after our members, but we're a bit rubbish about reaching out to non-members and telling people what we do. Uh, there's this new thing that started called podcasting. I think we should do one. And Philip just said, oh, go on, Dave, do what you like. You know, it sounds great <laughs> kind of thing. Um, and so we started Druidcast as a, and it's totally free, you know, every month, every month since 2007, around about the 20th of the month, without fail, we've had an episode out. And, um, and I like that consistency as well. That's something that is always good for me in Obod is there is a consistency in Obod. We, when we say we're going to do something, unless something cataclysmic like a pandemic happens. <laughs> <laughs> and even then, you know, ways. <laughs> <laughs> we usually deliver what we're going to, what we say we're going to do. So, so that, that, that podcast became another expression of being the pen dragon to me as well. And of, and of course my music, you know, yeah. And my music as well is a kind of like, you know, it's part, obviously to do with Obod, but it's also slightly separate in as much as, you know, people listen to it, they hear the, you know, the stories of the horned God or whatever in the, in the songs and they go, what's that? Or they might move something in them and then they start to explore more. So, yeah. So it's, it's ambassador is about the closest I would come to um, as a description of the Pendragon role for me. Yeah. Have you found that, your approach to being that ambassador has changed in the in the past 14 years um yes yes um i think you know with anything as time passes you become more confident you know and and um you know, for a while, I would say, like anybody placed in that position, there, I, I had a huge amount of imposter syndrome feelings, you know, kind of like, oh, at any, at any moment, they're going to find out I can't read music, or I can't tell a story, or I'm not very good, or I don't know my druidry, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and of course, all of that is just up here, isn't it? It's all in your head. Um, but I had it, you know, like anybody else, putting put into that role. Do, do I deserve 
to be doing this for for the largest druid order in the world and all those things that go on through your head not so much now i kind of like i'm very happy in my own skin you know i i i i i don't think i could live and walk and talk druidry any more than i do in my life so if people have problems with that then it really doesn't it's not my problem <laughs> now you know totally their problem yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so I think I, over the years, I've become a lot more confident in, in myself with the role. Um, uh, it changed as well, um, because obviously Philip stepped down as the chosen chief um, last year and Irma was inducted as the chosen chief. Um, so, so now I have another, a, a different member of the triad to work with. And, you know, she went through a, a good two year apprenticeship with mm. Philip. So, so, you know, that all, one of the things that can destroy groups is changing of leadership. You know I mean? It, it, and, and Philip could see that and he's, you know, with, with everybody else, we've built this up to something that is truly beautiful. And the last thing we want is some kind of ego power struggle at the top, yes. you know, because it's not about who, you know, I'm Pendragon, but that's not important. Pendragon just means as far as I'm concerned, I am in service to the membership. That's mm -hmm. it. I'm not some big, I am. I'm just in service to the membership. And the same attitude has to be held by the scribe and the chief. It's a position of service, not of not of authority and um <clears throat> and you know so that's that's changed and working with Irma is now you know very different but just as interesting and just as exciting so yeah yeah that, that is one aspect of Opod that I absolutely love um is that kind of centralized decentralized form of authority it is, um, I mean, even down to the fact that mentors are not in the same geographic location that you're in. Um, yeah. Anything like, well, with, with um, Druidcast, you inviting so many people from outside the order to come and speak on the show. Mm. Um, and even what uh, Philip Kargram has said uh, multiple times, that idea that, you know, um, it, it, we're not looking at, at schisms, we don't see people breaking off as schisms it's you know going and finding their own path right absolutely yeah and it's happened many times and on the whole everyone has stayed stayed very friendly and supportive of each other as well yes. you know it's how things should grow and change you know grow and yeah. Change. yeah 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 and and, and that, i mean that word right that that word grow is so central to druidry um mm. A lot of the, I mean, obviously, I won't talk about the rest of the, the, the course here, but um, that piece about growing um, kind of very much relates to even your own, well, very much your own journey. Um, there was a, I, I, I really wanted to ask you about this because I, I thought when I listened to it, uh, when Wardruna came and reached out to you and yes. telling your voice on the podcast, and this was just a few months ago, like you were like, oh, they wanted to speak to me. <laughs> What was that like for you? It's you know, it's it's natural to get starstruck, isn't it? When you you have a great respect for somebody, and suddenly they're sitting there talking to you mm -hmm. as if you're just somebody they've known for years, mm -hmm. and 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 you know, the way that happened was that Einar um, heard the Walking the Talk series and he wanted to invite me over to Norway and walk with him and be taken to those things but we couldn't um, because of the, the pandemic so we did this Zoom interview and, and you know yeah yeah it was 
Yeah, it is. It's 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 a, a huge respect of what what they do as a band. What Ina does specifically, I think, as well. I mean, I know I know they are a band, but I also always get the impression that that Ina is the driving force behind Wardruna, and and the interview I had with him was just like talking to myself. Yeah, you know, I mean, all the things that he was saying, he does. I do when I get when I seek inspiration for my music and and it was just like looking into a mirror mm. and just hearing the words that I probably would say if I was asked those same questions came back to me and it was just it was a lovely interview but I was a little bit kind of like I can't believe <laughs> you know these people want to talk to little old me you know yeah yeah but I kind of like that I I I, I fight I, I don't fight but I, I I never want to be self-important you know, I don't I, I want to be part of it. I don't want to be in charge of anything particularly. I want to be just part of the movement, you know, and uh, so I do I do kind of push push back any sense of grandeur that starts to appear in my own head. <laughs> <laughs> and and the universe tends to do that too. As soon it as does. It does. Yeah. It's like, nope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so speaking about your inspirations then, kind of bring it back to that concept of Arwen. Um, you, you said um, Einar has some very similar ways of, 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 of seeking inspiration. What are some of your inspirations? Where do you derive that sustenance from? Oh, I think that the, the Arwen is an elusive mistress. Mm. You know, um, Nuivre life force is always there. But Awen is something like, you know, even down to the, the story of the creation of Awen, the tale of Keridwen and Taliesin. Yeah. It's an elusive mistress. It's um, Keith, Keith Richards, I think, of the Rolling Stone says, writing a song is like fishing. You just cast your, your hook into the stream of consciousness. And every now and again, you're lucky enough to catch one. <laughs> um, but, but, but I think for, for anyone who is creative, they're just sitting and waiting for it to happen. If you do that, it might never happen. So you have to place yourself in the stream of inspiration. You have to get in, in the way of inspiration. And, and, if, and the way I get in the way of inspiration is to head off to Dartmoor, mm. to an old sacred site, to Wayland Smithy, the, 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 the Downs, even the local beach to just sit there and just listen to the sea waves, to hear the gulls, to, to really enter into a relationship with the natural world. And, and, and if you do that on a, on a regular basis, something, something will come up and, and you go, ah, that sounds like a song. And that will then lead you to, to write the song. And I also am a huge and always have been a massive fan of mythology. Um, and when I was at school, if you'd have believed the history teachers at school, then our history started with the Romans. Right. Yeah. yeah. What I've realized since school is that the history of this island of, of everywhere else started way before then with the stone circle builders, with the, with the people who built the long barrows, with the first farmers, with the hunter gatherers, with the, the artists who drew that piece of art in the caves of France, of the, of the you know, of the shaman figure in the, with antlers. And that, oh, that was when my little bardic imagination went wild because that was when the spirits of the land all around started to become real and not just 
not just figments of storytellers and and fairy tale but actually real real energies real real powers that i can develop a relationship with and sing about and yes. and bring into the, and, and of course by by singing them and putting them into songs you're bringing them to new ears who have never heard of the the words of Konunos or Pan or Hearn or or Blodaiwed or Clay or Gwydion or Merlin or Arthur you know that that's that's where my creative mind lives in that you know in the in reality and in imagination and right there in the middle is where the Awen lives to me you know where those two spheres cross over that's that's a beautiful description I got goosebumps when you were talking about it <laughs> but be, uh, I, I, the more I, I delve into my own spirituality and my professional life too, mm. the more that interconnection, that uh, that other world of imagination and reality, um, yeah. blending, um, comes. And it, it's funny how so many people just accept the stories that they're given as fact. And like we see this even in, in everyday life, right? How many stories are we gifted by our family? Um, and said, this is reality, this is the, the story that you must live by. And mm. it's almost like a lifelong process to deconstruct those stories and find the kind of the hidden stories behind yeah. them. Yeah. yeah. And myth, myth, the word myth kind of is second rate, it's almost, if people go, oh, it's just a myth. Yes. You know? But to me, myths are the second level of story. You know, so you have the tale, and then you have the myth and the myth is all of the hidden meanings, all of the yeah. occult meanings that are held within the story. The Mabinogi, for instance, if you took it as just a story, it's a very nice story. But the moment you start looking into the linguistics of the old Mabinogian and you realize that Afghan's name means summer, yes. uh, you know, and, and there's a battle between the dark of Araun and the, the light of summer, suddenly this myth becomes more than just a story. You know, and another thing, a beautiful saying that I heard once said, uh, no myth ever happened, but every myth is true. Yes. And I love that, you know, yeah. and it's the true with a capital T. It's the truths that they hold, you know, that, that, that really turn me on. <laughs> That's, oh, I, I feel that on a deep level. That, yeah. that I, well, it, It's that kind of. It's that Western rationalistic Protestant kind of thing of, you know, things either have to be one or the other, true or false, you know, there's mm. those false dichotomies when something can be true and false at the same time. And even Absolutely. that false is, you know. Um, and, 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 and what I loved what you just said about um, connecting with the land, going into the land and, and looking at the land. Um, and seeing that, um, I mean, we know as storytellers, folklore is always embedded in the land. You walk into a region and the stories are always embedded in those mm. places because then people can enter into that story. It's not like they're just uh, you know, casual observers on the outside. Absolutely. Any moment you can turn around the corner and come across one of those figures um, and you become part yes. of that story. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And and myths change as well with telling, don't they? You know, they te they change over the course of time. And and although I love the fact that the Mabinogi was written down, because if it wasn't written down, we could well have lost those stories. <clears throat> By writing them down, you also trap them kind of on page, and and it's a bit like folks folk songs, you know. Um, 
folk songs are living, breathing, traditional songs, but and 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 they were dying out. So people like Francis Child and the Copper family headed out into the countryside and they wrote down the folk songs. But when they wrote down Raggle Taggle Gypsies, they went they went to that village and wrote down Jack's version of Raggle Taggle Gypsy. Over in that village, there was a John who did a different version of the Raggle Taggle Gypsies, but that one didn't get wrote, written down. And what kind of, uh, you know, makes me kind of shrug and go, oh, like that, is when people argue about authenticity yeah. when it comes to mythology and folk song, yeah. you know, because they're only authentic because that's the bit of paper that they were written down on. You know, they trapped them at that moment. And they then from that them. moment, they almost, with if they're not careful, they're going to stop them from breathing and progressing, you know, and um, and those things are all about the folk. You know, they're all about the folk. And so, you know, they need to be able to express for new generations to come and, to and make, make it relevant. their own, you know. Absolutely. To make yeah. it relevant. Well, a very good example of that um, is, uh, so our mutual friend Chris Hughes up in Anglesey um, and his work with Mario Louis. Um, a few weeks ago, he was geeking out on his uh, Facebook page about having that book written by that Methodist minister <laughs> yes. who, you know, tried to destroy and say how Mario Louis festival was uh, was so evil in this. So what did he do? Write down every single detail in the... <laughs> and kept it alive and kept it alive. But yes. then you see in with that example, Mario Louis. Um, all of the different variations around Wales and, and England of, 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 that, of, of how that tradition has been taken and taken for ownership by those different groups. You go mm. to Chepstow and you ask them who is the Mary Louise and they'll have different answers, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 That's, that's that flow that, that you were talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The flow of it, flow of our still happening. So yeah. let's talk about the uh, Imabinogi, because for the past, uh, since 2017, that's become a large part of your work. Mm. Um, and you're on, you just debuted the third branch last year, right? That's right. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that project and what it meant to you. Um, so the, the uh, Mabinogi is oh, the Mabinogi. title. Um, and they come from, uh, my first encounter with them was when I was a sales rep. Uh, and I was on the road and I was visiting, I was I shorter hair, I was visiting customers and I, I, I stopped off and I bought a copy of the Mabinogion. Uh, this one was a Jeffrey Gantz penguin version, but the original kind of translation was by Lady Charlotte Guest back in the 1800s. Um, and I, and I, I was new to the Druid path, but I'd heard about these stories. So I started to read them and, and I, I thought I, I like them but there's something missing and I don't know what it is. There's something missing. And, uh, but it wouldn't go away. I fell in love with some of the characters from these mythologies like uh, Blodaiweth and, um, and, and, and those stories that, that, and Aran and all these characters within them. But I couldn't quite connect totally because they were held, they were held in very Christian language. They've been written down by Christian monks. Um, and, I couldn't understand the nuance because I wasn't Welsh, um, but I held them within me. I, I, I wrote a few songs. I wrote Oak Brew and Meadow Sweet. I wrote Blodaiweth, uh, Cloak of Feathers, mm. you know, very, uh, Lady of the Silver Wheel about Ariane Rod. They're all about these, these gods and goddesses from the Mabinogi. But, um, but what, I, what I realized is that um, 
I wanted to create a Mabinogi for us. Oh. You know, I was talking about having it trapped in amber. It, it felt like the, the translations had trapped them in that form. And there was so much more magic that just couldn't get out because they had to be translations. And they are translations of, of the White Book of Rivach and the Red Book of Herges that were back from the 1300s, written down, as I say, by Christian monks um, at the time. And, and these, these things you have on the thing of translations. Now, since over the last sort of 10 years, people have really gone into the linguistics of the Mabinogi. And and those linguistics have opened up all new doors that cannot be put into translations because they're translations. Um, so I thought I and I also thought these are meant to be heard. They're not meant to be read. They're meant to be heard. They're meant to be. You know, the idea is that the, the bard came to your village, sat down and told these tales. And people were enthralled by them as they told these tales. They didn't read them on a page passively. They were included and involved in them. And so I thought, well, I'm going to try this. I'm going to have a go at this. Um, and I'm going, to, I'm going to absolutely stay faithful to the translations and include everything from the translations. But I am also going to include everything from the current research. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So in the translations, it says, for instance, Puich um, um, uh, in the guise of Aran meets Afghan in battle yeah. and they have a fight and that's it. And that's it. But of course, we know that Afghan means summer yeah. and Aran is a dark grey hunter. Yes. I mean, straight from the wild hunt of Samhain, of winter, you know, so you have a seasonal batter there. But you can't just you can't say that in a translation. So in my my version, I say, you know, Havgan stepped forward and Puish saw that the sun shone from his eyes as he as if he held within him the very heart of summer itself. So I'm not kind of leading people's hands, but I am putting all of that in there now. And um, and so and it's mixed. And I get to a point where I think this bit is far better described in song. So mm. for this part, I'll write a song. So they average about five or six songs per double album. And mm. the rest of it is, is the story, um, completely up to date, completely including all of the current research and putting them also putting them through a re-paganizer, I guess. <laughs> you know, because these, 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 these gods and goddesses, without a doubt, do come from pre-Christian times. And so they need to be told with that love of a, of a pre-Christian bard, in my opinion. And, uh, and so that's, that's it really. And it has been an amazing journey. It's been, a bit, I'll be honest, it's utterly selfish, selfish. I'm doing this totally for me. You know, I'm happy that other people are enjoying it, but I think if, even if nobody bought it, I would be doing this. <laughs> Cause I, it's like, to me, it's like, this is what it's all been about to me. Yeah you know and i've got one more branch to go and then i have the whole four branches of the mabinogi very much looking forward to it very much as, to, as to, yeah two two cd sets and stuff and i hope that people are hearing them for the first time and falling and falling in love with them like i did you know but yeah it's yeah. um uh, so it was actually a, um tiffany my my supervisor gave them to me um because she knew that i would love them 
and I hadn't heard from yet. And uh, of course, uh, being from Wales, I, I, it was it's interesting. We, we're not really told about the Imavinagia, um, um, especially when I when I left Wales. Like there was no mention of it when I was a kid. Um, but uh, but now there's been a real research uh, of 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 really reclaiming those stories and, and yes. putting them out there. Um, but it is, it's like you said, it is very different when you read it. It's like Shakespeare. Shakespeare is not meant to be read. No. And it's yeah. a torture of, of high school to have to read it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but to be experienced. And, and that's really that stepping into the story. And I think what you've accomplished, um, and I, I want my readers, I'm going to put the, the link, if that's okay, down in the uh, show notes to, to mm. order it. Um, because it is such an experiential thing. Um, to step into that story and that mix of prose and poetry is very natural, I find. Um, but you could tell that the amount of detail and love put into it. Mm. Was it difficult to, when you produced it and you had it ready to go, was it was there a moment of hesitation of putting it out there? Oh, with the first one, definitely. So, so different. <clears throat> I mean, I, I'd been releasing pagan albums with 10 to 12 pagan songs each one lasting about six minutes you know for 17 years you know and 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 then suddenly I do that you know I I, I, rec I, I record an audiobook with songs and I just thought I don't know how this is going to go but I, I it's too important to me you know if I if I get when I get the fourth branch done, you know, if I if, if for whatever reason I'm told I'm not going to last long or whatever, in my heart I know I've left something of value. Yes. You know, that's why I'm doing those albums. You know, because I they are another part of the story of the Mabinogi. You know, and the and the development of the Mabinogi. Yes. Um, so I put all my heart and soul in them and. Uh, and I was so happy when people got it. There were a few people who wrote and said, when are you going to record another song album? And I kept saying, oh, next time, next time. You know, it's not worked out that way. It's been a, a constant journey, you know. Um, it's like I said that to, uh, I said, I've got a, a friend, a bardic friend out in the States. And I released the second branch. And I said, right, I'm going to have a break now and do, album, do an album of songs. And he just looked at me and he said, what if the lady doesn't want that? And I said, well, if that's not what the lady wants, she'll get what she wants. And she didn't <laughs> want that. I, I sat down to write songs and there was nothing, no inspiration whatsoever. And I thought, well, I've got to get on with the third branch then, you know. And uh, and, I, and at the end of the third branch, I said, now I'm going to do an album of songs. And then the pandemic hit. Yeah. And of course, yes. you know, <clears throat> it's hard to put yourself in the way of inspiration when you can't leave your house. <laughs> you know. Yeah, so it's been a bit dry, you know, it's been a bit dry and the fourth branch is calling me again. So I think I'm just going to get on with it and just go for it. And, you know, and that's it. Yeah. That's beautiful. So then the natural <laughs> next question is, when you've reached the end of the fourth branch, what's next? What's after that? Well, I'm going to try and write an album of songs and do the fourth branch at the same time. I'm going to, okay. I'm just going to write, write songs. I'm, I'm not going to, I, I'm not going to kind of dice it up. I'm just going to do it both at the same time. So I still want to do a, another album of songs. Um, I have thoroughly enjoyed the Mabinogi 
And I don't see that kind of output going away because there's still plenty of mythology oh, to get your teeth into in that format of storytelling with orchestral. You know, I, I, did, a, I did an online course with Hans Zimmer the, um, the the guy who do does the scores, movie scores for like Batman and all these things. I did an online course with him and because I knew that a lot of this would be film scoring because it, it needed that kind of dramatic music as well to really bring to life those moments. And hey, you know, there's still plenty to do. I mean, I've toyed with the idea of L'Amour d'Arthur you know oh, um, yeah, yeah do it because that's that the best representation of that book has been Excalibur the film yes but maybe it could be made something in in a different way into this audio version as well there's there's Beowulf you know there's so many yes. amazing mythologies there's the, the, the actual story of Keridwen and Taliesin for instance it goes on further than when he's just discovered and named yes. you know they go on further joint journeys as well you know so so I, I I don't I think now I've done well now I've done once I've done the fourth branch um I don't see that's the end of the of the story mythology music kind of mashup um stopping I think it will carry on as well I hope not. I really hope that it continues. And, yeah. and actually, and, and it, what you, something you just said um, reminded me of what you talked about before about um, going into the land and having access to the land. Um, you know, it, the, the story I found the stories, especially being from from the UK, um, the stories hit differently when you can go to the place and stand there and be in that spot, like going up to. Um, you know, Lake Bala, like Chlintegid um, in uh, in North Wales, and imagining, okay, this is the space that Geredwen yes. and Taliesin worked, you know. Yes. Um, having access to those spaces, um, um, I, I think it'll hit differently with your work. And there are so many stories, regional stories, small stories, um, mm. so small stories um, that are huge um, that can be worked on. So I, 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 I look forward to that. I really do yeah. look forward to yeah. that. Yeah. Well, the um, sorry, my dog is <laughs> okay. being, being a dog. <laughs> well, final when, question. Then. Sorry, go on. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, I was going to say that um, when I when I uploaded the first branch, um, I used a group called CD Baby, and they they aggregate my stuff to iTunes and Spotify and that. Mm. But they always send you their version of your album to listen through to make sure there's no dropouts or anything like that mm -hmm. and i got that email when i was in wales mm -hmm. and so i listened to the final version of the first branch sitting on the banks of lake bala and and it was just yeah there were moments when i was in tears because the land knows those the tales you know i i may be english through birth but you know, I, I have a, such a connection to Britain as an island yes. that, uh, you know, and, and these are part of Britain as an island as well as part of being that part of the island. And it was like the, the land as I was, I was, I didn't put it through headphones. I listened to it out loud uh -huh. and it was like the lake and the shore just went, I know these toys. This is a little different. I've heard them before, but I know them, you know, and it was, beautiful absolutely incredible yeah that's amazing, that's amazing. <laughs> I, it's something I, I i resonate with i mean that's a whole other conversation but um 
but the land does know the stories. The, 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 it does hear. It does hear. Yeah. Yeah. So final question for you. Thinking about, you know, all what we've talked about today, what are some things, what are some of the major lessons that you've learned in your life? Some of the major lessons I've learned <laughs> what a major in my lesson. life. <clears throat> what have you learned about? Wow. Wow. I try to hold on to things very gently. I think that's one of the lessons I've learned in my life. It's like, um, you know, I, 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 I don't hold on tightly to ideas. I don't hold on tightly to, to things. Um, I try to, to be grateful every day for being alive and waking up and having another day. And, um, and I think, you know, that's one thing, those, that's one thing I learned in life is to, to hold on gently, the tighter people hold on, you know, it's what's the way it's, the, it's that kind of like, um, you know, that the, the oak falls over, but the reed bends or whatever it's called. You know, I can't remember the exact quote, be the reed kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> You know, that's something that I have learned. And that also goes into my spirituality. I have things that are very important to me personally with my pagan past, with my druidry, my relationship to the land and my gods and all those things. But I also recognize that that is my personal relationship to these things. And I think, you know, we, we organize open rituals, we organize camps for people. And when you organize open rituals, you can't bring your entire rucksack of beliefs. You have to bring what is in the rucksack that you think has common ground with the other people in the circle. And then you can all fill in the gaps yourself, but you don't bestow or you don't enforce your view of the world onto the other people in that circle. You, you work from the area of common ground, the love of the land, the love of nature, you know, the love of life, um, the love of history and, and things like that, things that you know everyone in that circle pretty much are going to agree with. And then that's where you that's where you express your community druidry from. Um, when I'm on my own, um, it's very different. You know, I have my own ways of doing things, but when it's out there. So that's also part of holding on gently is, is knowing that, you know, okay, okay, although I feel this about how things are, that doesn't make it right for everybody else. So just, you know, just hold on gently and just um, just facilitate growth, you know, and experience, you know, once, you, once you're in that kind of wider community. Yeah. And the other thing, never read your reviews. <laughs> <laughs> that is a common lesson a lot of artists need to learn. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, never read your reviews. There's a temptation and I do find myself doing it going, oh, there's five stars, there's five stars. Then you'll get to the one star. And that's the only one that you'll think about for the rest of the day. You know? <laughs> so just, just, just express your music, express your art, and then move on. Yeah. And and you know, don't don't get caught up in the reviews. <laughs> <laughs> that's wise in every person's life. That is mm. that's that's a, a lesson I'm trying to learn. <laughs> I think that's part of the reason why Facebook has so such a problem, because every day people put up a mm. point of view. Yes. And the comments are essentially reviews of that point of view. Exactly. And no wonder people are in, you know, have, have fatigue through social media because you're constantly getting critiqued by people. 
yeah. I don't do that. I try not to post anything or, <laughs> you know, I try to just post, this is it, and then move on to the next thing. You know? yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's a struggle. Yeah. It's true. And so it's funny that's like spreading out to, you know, all, all aspects of life. You go into Asda or Sainsbury's and you look at the reviews of certain products and it's vitriol. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Thank Dave Vibard, thank you so much for joining me. First of all, thank you for um, accepting my um, request to come onto the podcast. I was really stoked to have you on and I've loved this conversation. Thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. It's, it's, it's a very different experience than normal. So, I um, mean, you know, I'm, I'm very happy you invited me. So thanks a lot then. It's really um, nice. Thank you. If people want to learn more about your music specifically, I'll put the links to the podcast. Absolutely. But your links, uh, your work specifically, where can they find that? Uh, the hub of all things Dave the Bard <laughs> is my website, paganmusic.co.uk. And if they go to paganmusic.co.uk, they'll find the, all the links to social media. They'll find links to Spotify, if that's your avenue, Apple Music, mm -hmm. uh, my blog, the podcast, my spirituality. It's all there on the website. Beautiful. I will put those down in the show notes down below. And I do highly recommend you connect with Dave and, and look at his work. And um, and the uh, the Umabanagi um, 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 is on yeah. uh, YouTube right now too. So if people want yeah, it's to- Yes, on YouTube, it's on Spotify, it's on all of the streaming services. Um, and if you want to hold the hard copy with all of Kerry's lovely artwork, uh, you can order that from my, from my website that. too. <laughs> yeah. What I'm looking forward to on that, once the fourth one comes out, my aim is to produce the little lovely box oh. where all four can slip inside and it just says the four branches down the outside. So, yeah. That's beautiful. One day. Well, <laughs> that. Cool. Dave, thank you again. Thank you. Right, I'm just going to...